0: This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the daily death toll from COVID-19 is back in triple digits. 123 new names were added to the casualty count Tuesday. That brings the statewide total to 15,722. The COVID crisis was front and center in Pembroke Pines as Joe Biden delivered a speech aimed at Florida seniors. His basic message was that the only senior Donald Trump cares about is himself. And that the president appears to have learned nothing by contracting the virus.
1: I hoped at least he'd come out of it somewhat chastened. But what has he done? He's just doubled down on the misinformation he did before and making it worse. So many lives have been lost unnecessary because this president cares more about the stock market than he does about the well-being of seniors.
0: Biden's speech came one day after the president's rally in Sanford, three days before his rally in Ocala. St. Petersburg Congressman Charlie Crist is trying to gin up support for the Affordable Care Act. If it's undone by the courts and insurance companies can discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions again, Crist says we'll go back to the bad old days.
2: If these protections are stripped away, we could return to the dark days of when those living with diabetes were unable to receive coverage to purchase their life-saving insulin or when pregnant women were blocked from receiving health care coverage due to the pre-existing condition of having their first child. These actions are not simply wrong, they are senseless.
0: Tallahassee's political establishment is trying to convince the Florida Supreme Court to pull the plug on Amendment 3 before the election. It would open the primaries to all voters, regardless of party affiliation, so naturally, the politicians hate it.
3: It's a political roulette wheel. No one knows what elections would look like under this new system, under this new amendment.
4: This is nothing more than a fully funded temper tantrum by a billionaire, and it's ridiculous.
0: Today on Sunrise In-Depth, we'll check out the complaints about Prop 3 and hear from the group that placed it on the ballot. They say the current system already disenfranchises millions of Florida voters simply because they don't belong to one of the major parties. We'll also have your calendar of political events and check in with a couple of Florida men in green uniforms who were sent to investigate a traffic accident and then ran over the victim. guess it was a good thing for them. He was already dead. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, October 14th. It was on this date in 1947 that World War II fighter ace Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier in his X-1 rocket plane. That's about 767 miles per hour. Florida's Department of Health reported 123 additional fatalities from COVID-19 Tuesday. That increases the statewide total to 15,722. They also reported 2,725 new infections. The state's known total is now almost 739,000. That means one out of every 29 Floridians has contracted COVID since this all began. The governor did not do one of his usual COVID conferences Monday or Tuesday, and Ron DeSantis is doing a lot fewer lately. It's one way to divert attention from the pandemic. But something has been missing from all those press conferences and roundtables, and I didn't realize it until Congressman Charlie Crist said this at the start of his press conference on Tuesday.
2: I want to first take a moment of silence for the more than 210,000 American lives we have lost to COVID-19 this year. Uh,
5: We could please appreciate a moment of silence. You're probably
0: thinking, so what? That's just a simple human courtesy. But guess who hasn't been saying it during all of his media events since March? Now, I will be the first to admit my memory is not what it used to be, but I can't recall a single time Ron DeSantis has said anything to honor or acknowledge the more than 15,000 Floridians who have died on his watch. It's called empathy, and it seems to have gone missing. Coronavirus was on Joe Biden's mind as he delivered what was billed as his vision for older Americans in Florida. The presidential nominee was speaking in Pembroke Pines, where he said Donald Trump has already decided the elderly are expendable. Here's the condensed version.
1: It's harder than ever to spend time with the people you love, other than on Zoom or on a computer connection. Uh, We've all felt that sense of interruption in our lives. And we all know that this, uh, this isn't normal, that things didn't have to be this bad. They didn't have to be this bad. We look around at our neighbors and we know people are hurting. A lot of folks are worried about making their next rent payment, their next mortgage payment. They're not only they, uh, whether or not they can purchase their prescription drugs or put food on the table. And we see an awful lot of people at the very top doing better than they've ever done. And uh, left the wonder, an awful lot of us, is who's looking out for me? Who's looking out for me? That's been the story, the entire story, of my view of Donald Trump's presidency. The fact that he's never been focused on what matters. He's never been focused on you. His handling of this pandemic has been erratic, just like his presidency has been. And it has uh, prevented Florida seniors and people all across the country from getting the relief that they need. Donald Trump uh, hasn't just been willing to uh, not do the work. I think it's that, beyond that, I'm not sure he cares about delivering any real help. I think it's both. People say he's not willing to do the work. Well, I don't think he cares much about it. While you're losing precious time with your loved ones, he's been stuck in a sand trap in one of his golf courses. And when he does decide to lift a finger, it isn't to help you. It's to propose new tax cuts for billionaires. And I'm not, that's not hyperbole. That's not hyperbole. A hundred Wealthiest billionaires in America are expected to get another $30 billion tax cut he's proposing. All this president knows how to do is play games with people's lives and families' futures. Last week, he announced he was, quote, walking away from the negotiations that were never, he never fully engaged in, like he's not walking away, he never fully engaged in them, to provide any additional relief for American families. Folks, Donald Trump's chaotic and divisive leadership has cost us far too much. 215,000 dead from COVID-19, and rising. Experts say we'll lose nearly another 200,000 lives in the next few months unless he fundamentally changed course. You know, I wished, I prayed for his recovery when he got COVID, and I hoped at least he'd come out of it somewhat chastened. But what has he done? He's just doubled down on the misinformation he did before and making it worse. So many lives have been lost unnecessary because this president cares more about the stock market than he does about the well-being of seniors. One day before we crossed the threshold of 200,000 deaths, you may recall this, the president was at a campaign rally and he insisted that the virus, and I quote, affects virtually nobody, quote, just elderly people with heart and other problems. Nobody. Think about that. Who was he talking about when he said it affects virtually nobody? He was talking about America's seniors. He was talking about you. He was talking about my family. You've worked hard your whole life, contributing to society, building the family, building the country, serving America. You deserve security. You deserve respect and peace of mind. But you're not getting it. By the way, if this wasn't so bizarre, you'd think, you know, if I tried to make a movie talking about something like this in America, you'd think I was making it up. Because Donald Trump is simple, not a joke. You're expendable. You're forgettable. You're virtually nobody. That's how he sees seniors. That's how he sees you. It's become painfully clear as this careless, arrogant, reckless COVID response has caused one of the worst tragedies in American history. The only senior that Donald Trump cares about is senior Donald Trump.
0: Biden spoke in Broward less than 24 hours after the president's rally on the tarmac at Orlando Sanford International Airport. In the midst of the confirmation hearing for Supreme Court nominee Amy Barrett, Florida Congressman Charlie Crist is trying to rally support for Obamacare. Democrats say the nominee has already staked out a position against the Affordable Care Act and is likely to rule against it when the high court hears arguments in a challenge to the law shortly after the election. Crist says that would be a fatal mistake in the midst of a pandemic that has already killed more than 215,000 Americans and more than 15,000 Floridians.
2: The COVID-19 pandemic has laid bare the systemic inequalities that have left millions of Americans without accessible and affordable health care, in the middle of our worst crisis in over a century. Over the past seven months, millions of Americans have lost their jobs, and with them, their employer-sponsored health care. According to analysis from the Economic Policy Institute, an estimated 6.2 million Americans have lost coverage due to job loss. And that's not counting their spouses, children, and other dependent family members that may rely on them for coverage. While COBRA and other unemployment assistance plans have allowed some workers to hold on to their coverage, it's clear we need a long-term solution for the millions of workers displaced by this crisis. The Affordable Care Act allows those who've lost coverage due to COVID-19 to enroll within 60 days of termination. But rather than supporting and expanding this program, the White House is fighting to overturn the ACA in the courts in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. If successful, this decision would rip healthcare away from about 20 million Americans just when they need it the most. It would prevent young adults from accessing coverage under their parents' plans during an economic recession disproportionately impacting younger workers. And it would strip away protections for pre-existing conditions as over 7 million Americans are recovering from pre-existing condition of COVID. If these protections are stripped away, We could return to the dark days of when those living with diabetes were unable to receive coverage to purchase their life-saving insulin, or when pregnant women were blocked from receiving healthcare coverage due to the pre-existing condition of having their first child. These actions are not simply wrong, they are senseless. And in opposition to everything our government should be doing to protect the millions of Americans both during this crisis and beyond.
0: One of the people who would lose coverage if the Affordable Care Act is repealed is Mike Sutton. He's a native of the Tampa Bay region and runs Habitat for Humanity in Pinellas and West Pasco. He's also a victim of COVID-19 with a pre-existing medical condition.
6: And I recently um, experienced a a pretty uh, horrible uh, battle with COVID uh, that put me in the hospital for about seven days. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, really kind of brought me down to my knees. So um, uh, on August 13th, I had my first symptom. Um, and uh, here we are, um, uh, exactly two months later, and I'm still not at 100. I'm still struggling with a lot of um, tiredness, and uh, uh, you know some of the some of the, the the side effects that you hear about that folks have long term. Um, I will um, for the next 12 months have to have monthly checkups on my lungs and um, to ensure that I have no uh, scar tissue or any sort of breathing issues. In addition to battling the, the COVID for the last two months, um, I also suffer from Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune disease uh, that I've had since I was 15 years old. And so um, that complicated things even that much more. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm in one of those positions that if it, if it wasn't for, you know, the, the way our current healthcare system is set up, uh, the pre-existing condition of, of Crohn's disease um, uh, is something that I could not afford. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, the the um, effects of COVID would be something that would have financially been hard to overcome. My hospital hospital bills and, and medical bills um, totaled over $62,000 from just that one week at, at Largo Med.
0: Melanie Hall has skin in this game because she's what's known as a navigator. Her job is to help people applying for coverage under the Affordable Care Act pick the best policy for their individual situation. She also runs the Family Health Care Foundation, which provides free navigator services for people in Hillsborough, Pinellas, Pasco, and Pol- counties, and she says people forget just how hard it was to get coverage before the ACA.
7: So we were going into our eighth year of open enrollment, and we sit down one-on-one with families and help them make the best choice for their health care coverage and make sure that they are um, choosing a plan that really is going to meet their needs and give them access to care. So we hear stories every single day from families that people confide in us and explain to us the challenges before the Affordable Care Act—how difficult it was to get care. Um, the, you know, just incredible difficulty of managing a chronic illness. If you don't have access to the proper medications, you don't have the ability to see the doctors that know you and know your medical history. You don't have access to therapies that then make this chronic illness livable. Um, you know, some of these um, medications and therapies aren't just. In order to manage these, these um, conditions, it's they're life-saving every single time they're administering. So we hear it, we hear the anxiety from the families that we speak to. Um, what the Department of Health and Human Services estimates is that um, you know, upwards of 50% of Americans do have some condition that could be considered a pre-existing condition. From our experience, we probably see about 65 to 70 percent. Of the non-elderly adults that, that we sit down with um, do have some sort of condition that would be considered pre-existing if they, um, you know, if this act were to be eliminated and they were to go back to an old system. It was a system that was a threat to hospitals, to our healthcare system in general, to try and absorb, you know, all of the unfunded, uninsured patients that were coming to hospitals for treatment because they have no access um, in the community. And as a result, you know, that's one of the impetus of the Affordable Care Act is to make sure we have a nice, strong, viable healthcare system for everyone. So we are um, certainly going to go into open enrollment once again this year, beginning November 1st, to make sure that our communities have good, accurate information and the ability to enroll in programs that are life-saving, enroll in plans that do meet people's needs and are affordable for families.
0: Enrollment of the Affordable Care Act begins November 1st. The Supreme Court is scheduled to hear the challenge against the ACA on November 10th. That is one week after the election. Next up on Sunrise In-Depth, the Tallahassee Political Establishment tries to take down Amendment 3 with help from the Florida Supreme Court. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged.
6: Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today.
0: Welcome back to Sunrise. Amendment 3 on your ballot would make a fundamental change in the way Florida picks its politicians, letting everyone vote in the primary, regardless of party registration. The top two candidates would then meet in the general election. It's called the All Voters Vote Amendment, and the political parties do not like it one bit. They challenged the amendment of the Florida Supreme Court, but the high court said there was no reason to keep it off the ballot. Now, with mail-in voting already underway and the election less than three weeks away, the next speaker of the Florida House wants the court to reconsider. Representative Chris Sprouls of Palm Harbor says there are new studies that were not available during the original hearing that supposedly show minorities would lose representation
3: if the amendment is approved. This amendment that's going to appear before the voters uh, is not reform. It's a political roulette wheel. No one knows what elections would look like under this new system, under this new amendment. Certain constituencies, as has come out recently in certain studies, whether those constituencies are geographic, ethnic, racial or religious, could find themselves left out as a result of this bad amendment. The new rules encourage the manipulation, they incentivize tricks, and they lead to uh, unintended consequences, including disenfranchising voters uh, across the state. It's not just a
0: GOP thing. Democrat and State Senator Janet Cruz of Tampa joined in the legal challenge because she wants Amendment 3 gone. Cruz says it's being driven by one person. Mike Fernandez of Miami is the founder of the Immigration Partnership and Coalition Fund. He has donated more than $6 million to this campaign. That's almost all of their funding.
4: Honestly, if I can speak frankly with everyone, this is nothing more than a fully funded temper tantrum by a billionaire. And it's ridiculous that we have to work toward, uh, lawsuits to stop this nonsense. You know, as you can see, this amendment has opposition from both sides of the aisle. It's not just opposed by us, the political parties, uh, the Florida League of Women Voters, the ACLU of Florida, the NAACP, um, the Florida State Conference, uh, the Florida League of Conservation Voters, and many more are opposed to Amendment Three. And you know why they are opposed? Because this is not an issue of a Democrat or Republican, this is a voter issue. If passed, this amendment will hurt minority representation and lead to more mudslinging mudslinging and political chaos. You know, all with the ultimate winner being the one who was not chosen by the majority of that district. And that's really a, a grave concern. You know, simply put this amendment is a real threat to true representative democracy. Both the 1965 Voting Rights Act and the 2010 Fair Districts Amendment to Florida's Constitution require that racial minorities be able to elect candidates of their choosing and those who reflect their community. Black and Hispanic representation in elected office is secured in Democratic primaries. Under Amendment 3, it would be very unlikely that any African, any Florida Senate district would be able to elect an African-American senator, or for that matter, perhaps a Hispanic senator.
0: The politicians are driving this court challenge, but the actual plaintiff is a man by the name of Glenn Gilzine. He believes Prop 3 would mean fewer blacks in the legislature.
5: I am a voter in Senate District 11, Senator Bracey's district, and House District 45, Representative Camille Brown. Both districts are majority-minority. That will no longer be true if Amendment 3 is passed. As an advocate for my community and a voice for the voiceless, once I learned of these studies, I knew that I could not stand by and do nothing. I want other voters to be made aware of this information and the impacts of Amendment 3. And I want the justices to please reconsidered allowing this amendment to go before the voters in light of this new information about Amendment 3. The ballot title and summary do not adequately explain what this amendment would do to majority minority districts like mine. This lawsuit is vital to bring that issue to light before the upcoming election. The voters should be fairly informed what Amendment 3 would do to minority voices in Florida government. And that's why I'm asking that this amendment not be permitted to silence black voices in Florida government.
0: But the people behind Amendment 3 say this last-minute challenge is all about headlines, not legality. Glenn Burhans with the All Voters Vote campaign says it's hard to take their complaints about disenfranchising minorities seriously when you remember there are more than 3 million Floridians who cannot vote in the primaries now because they're registered as something other than a Democrat or a Republican.
8: Right now there are 3.5 million uh, duly qualified, legally registered voters who pay taxes uh, for the elections that they're blocked from participating in. Out of that 3.5 million voters are 1.6 million voters of color, 1.7 million women voters. And the message of the politicians and the two major parties is to those minorities and those women voters, sit down and shut up because your voice doesn't matter and your vote doesn't count merely because they won't join a private club. I think it's shameful and Florida voters deserve better. And you know, this is something that's not foreign. We have a top two process at the local level. Florida's 412 cities and dozens of counties have, have elections every cycle that use this type of top two process, which includes having all candidates on the same ballot, letting all voters vote in that election regardless of political affiliation or lack of affiliation. And can anybody seriously argue that our local government is not representative of the voters and is not responsive to the voters? Only the politicians could argue that minority representation would be harmed by adding 1.6 million minority voters to the process. Their argument is specious. The report that it's based upon is, is failed, rather. And um, the, the legal case is without merit. The Supreme Court has already ruled upon the sufficiency of the ballot language. They're just rehashing more of the same. And, and by the way, Rick. Uh, it, it it's kind of a moot point. They're looking at past elections. They're ignoring the 3.5 million voters that would be entitled to vote in an all-voter vote primary. And it, it's moot because two years from now, the state is going to have to be reapportioned by the legislature. And the All Voters Vote Amendment, if it it is adopted, would not become effective until 2024. So it'll be incumbent upon the legislature to follow the law in 2022 and a portion in accordance with the Florida and U.S. constitutions.
0: So they went ahead and filed this like three weeks before the election when people are already voting. Do you think this is a serious legal attempt or just a way to get a splash in the headlines?
8: No, it's a pure PR stunt. I think anybody that understands election law really wouldn't have filed this lawsuit. Um, you know, the, the allegations of, of impacting minority representation are, are, are specious. Uh, and, and the legal basis is unsound, as I said. Uh, the Florida Supreme Court already rejected the arguments about ballot language. Uh, they're making factual allegations that ordinarily would have to require discovery and go through uh, findings of fact, you know, with, with a, with a trial-level judge. That is something that the Supreme Court repeatedly has said it does not do.
0: Which takes us back to the future speaker, Representative sprouls He insists this is a serious legal challenge and should not be dismissed as a public relations ploy.
3: This isn't a, a, you know, a stunt to impact a particular race in a particular part of the state. This is something that's going on to our Constitution. What has been consistent is the dangers that putting stuff like this in our Constitution can hold. And this is exactly the kind of example we're talking about. Here we are, This the Florida Supreme Court takes up this amendment, and, and the advocates who have paid millions and millions of dollars to out-of-state groups, this is not a grassroots effort, millions of dollars to out-of-state groups in order to get this on our, on our ballot, to hijack our political process, and in doing so have, have created unintended consequences that could be, if passed on November 3rd, ingrained in our constitution. What I can tell you is, is that we don't, we don't engage in advocacy or go back to the court because we're scared of something passing. But well, let's be honest. It's not a question of being scared. This can do irreparable damage to our political process. This is the, you know, the, the political equivalent to a battle royal. Um, nobody understands who's gonna be left out. Nobody understands the damage that's gonna be done to the process and who's gonna be disenfranchised, which is why it shouldn't go into the Constitution. Sprouls
0: takes over as speaker of the Florida House next month. A Republican running for an open seat in the House cuts a deal with prosecutors in hopes of saving his campaign. Fred Hawkins Jr. was facing a felony charge of impersonating a law enforcement officer, but he agreed to enter a pretrial diversion program that could lead to dismissal of that felony charge. He has to take an impulse control class, complete community service hours, pay fines, not to mention thousands of dollars to reimburse the Florida Department of Law Enforcement for the cost of the investigation. Hawkins was an Osceola County commissioner who carried a special deputy badge. It's entirely ceremonial. However, body cam footage from a guard who was providing security at a meeting of a Homeowners Association in St. Cloud last November shows Hawkins pushing through the crowd, holding up a badge, declaring he's a sheriff, and then threatening to arrest the guard for trying to keep him out. The governor suspended Hawkins from the commission back in August. He's now battling Democrat Barbara Cady for an open seat to represent House District 42 that covers much of Osceola County and parts of eastern Polk County. Your calendar of events begins at 8 today when the Florida Board of Pharmacy meets in conference call. The Florida Commission on Offender Review meets by conference call at 9. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30. The Florida Office of Insurance Regulation holds an online hearing at 10 on a request by Centauri Specialty Insurance to raise homeowner property rates. And the Florida Health Insurance Advisory Board meets by conference call at 11. Finally today, let's call it the ultimate double tap. Two Florida men responding to reports of a pedestrian being hit by a car ran over the victim again. The 27-year-old man from Orlando was hit as he walked onto Hillsborough Avenue. The driver called the sheriff's office to report the incident, and when two Hillsborough County deputies responded to the crash, both of them ran over the guy who was still lying in the middle of the road. The highway patrol is investigating the deputies, but they say the victim had already been killed by the first collision. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.